It's time now to um, begin our regular weekly discussions as Dr. Andrew Corbett joins us in the studio this morning. Hello, Andrew. Good morning, Cameron. Great to be with you again. Indeed. And Good to it's, see you. Uh, spring has sprung. Certainly has. 14 degrees, I noticed, on the Riverside Shopping Centre clock. Great yes. to have a little temperature reminder that uh, the north of the state is often two to three degrees warmer than the south. Indeed. <laughs> Most of the time, yeah. It was 10 Most degrees at half past six, so well, I was not very bad, happy with that. Compared yeah. to some of my motorbike experience. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Not that long right. ago, that's where that's it was right. like minus two oh, or something. It's amazing that uh, we won't see the sunshine for a couple of days, but that's okay. We can deal with that, can't we? Yeah. Oh, well, yes. It's still pleasant, isn't it? It's lovely. Yeah. So, Cameron, just a couple of things before we, we get stuck into this. The, we, we're going to be talking about a good story. Mm. What makes for a good story? And I think one of the, the, the points that we're going to make is that um, everyone loves a good story, and I want to give some reasons why I think that is. And it's interesting how people actually shape their lives around a story. In fact, if we said to people, tell me the ideal story of your life, and I think most people would say to grow up in a happy home, to have a good education, get a good job, meet the right person, marry, have kids, build a home, live in a home, whatever, have a a good career and retire well and see out my days in good health. Sounds good to me. Doesn't that sound like a good story? Doesn't that sound like a good story? Well, I think most of us kind of have that story as part of the backdrop or template of our lives. And I I want to perhaps give some insight as to where we get that story from. And then secondly, I don't know anybody who's actually pretty much live that story out, Cameron. <laughs> not, not in its entirety. No. It's, no. Look, the, the broad details are often there, but often what happens is we, we have ups and downs in life, and so life's ups and downs mean that the story is actually, that story is often punctuated with things that catch us off guard. And I guess in a moment I want to talk to people who perhaps right now are off guard. Perhaps things of, of life have caught them off guard, Perhaps, you know, they've been blindsided, something's happened, something has come out of the blue, and for them, their story has been derailed. And I've got something fairly encouraging, and I I, I suggest we'll give a lot of hope to people with that story. So before we do, I just want to make a, a, a couple of comments. Um, at the moment, we've been uh, been made aware through UCB News, we've been hearing this morning that our federal parliament is debating, I think, two of the three Uh, marriage bills that are before it to redefine marriage and according to the UCB reports those bills won't get up which is a part of why the state government is wanting to put pressure on the federal government with its own uh, completely different regime because the, the, the marriage bill it's proposing is a redefinition of marriage and the implementation of a completely parallel system to the federal marriage system which would which would open up the possibility of someone being married here in Tasmania under a Tasmanian Marriage Act and simultaneously being married to someone else under the Australian Marriage Act. Now, I don't know, I, I hope someone finds that bizarre. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think there's reasonable concerns. I, I, I want to stress to our listeners that when we talk like this, we are not promoting hate or vilification. No. We, we totally take a stand against that. We're not... Uh, promoting that idea at all. But having said that, um, if people want to just let the government know politely and and, um, in a a good spirit, there is a petition that uh, Dr Vanessa Goodwin, who is an MLC, 
uh, has uh, co-sponsored with Campbell Markham, who's a great church leader in our state, and they have put a petition together urging the MLC um, not to support this bill. I think it's fairly gracious, it's very civil, and it's worth supporting. If you want a quick link to that, simply go to wayfm.org.au and have a look at our Twitter feed. A couple of minutes ago we posted a tweet that'll take you straight to that petition. Now there is another petition running that that is urging people to support the redefining of what a marriage is and what morality is and what a family is and and we 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 are aware that we've we're we're a little bit slow on the uptake here. We are behind at the moment in that petition. But if you're able to, if you don't have a computer, uh, find someone who does, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they can help you to sign that. These things are really important. So let, let's come to this this topic today. A good story, Cameron. Mm. Isn't it interesting? We are all drawn to a good story. We Absolutely. love a good story. Yes. If you think about the major industries. That, that are around today, we've got Hollywood, we've yep. got publishing, we've got newspapers, we've got all media in general. They are all in the storytelling business. The BBC is another one. The BBC is, uh, last I heard, is a media outlet. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to plug the BBC because I love it. I love their oh, programs. <laughs> yes, that's where they come in wearing yes. their tuxedos to yeah. read the news, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So, um, and... So we, um, we, we love a story. Now, I actually think we are designed to resonate like a tuning fork. Cameron, you'd appreciate a tuning fork. Yeah, I do. Yeah, where you can actually pitch uh, a musical instrument, a piano or a yep. guitar with a tuning fork. And if yep. it's not in sync with the tuning fork, it kind of wobbles and it's oh, not yeah. right. And yeah, it's yeah, right. But the, you, you, you hit the tuning fork, it emits a frequency, you hit the frequency of the piano or guitar or whatever it is and it goes into harmony if it's in tune and there is something harmonious with our soul when we hear a good story when when we hear a story that is good and we're going to define what a good story is in a moment there's something that just like a tuning fork resonating with an in-tune piano or in-tune guitar a good story resonates with our soul deep deep within us there is a story that is there, and we're going to explore this in just a moment. And I actually believe God is the great storyteller, capital S, capital T. God's the great storyteller. Yep. Uh, one of the things that uh, sets apart the Bible as a religious book is the fact that it's a story. Now, you, you may just assume that all religious books are based on a similar line. Well, they're not. Uh, the Quran's not a story. No. The Bhagavad Gita of the Hindus is not a story. The writings of um, Buddhist thinkers, it's certainly not stories. We Now, I'm not saying there aren't stories contained within those, but overall, the Bible is unique in that way. Now, the Bible reflects the three essential parts of a good story. Yes. Now, here's, here's the first basic template of a good story, Cameron. And this, is, th- this should sound like a... No-brainer. When we share these three essential components to a good story, people should go, oh, I thought he was going to say something profound. I mean, he normally does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. gee, that's terrible. And that's pride, and it comes before a fall. My apologies ah, for that. But that's all right. uh, the three essential components to a good story, here they are. 
a good story has a beginning, a, a middle, middle, and an end. I, you took my thunder. <laughs> I thought you were you were prompting me. No, I kind of was. Look, but that's the point. We all know it. We all recognise yeah. it. A good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You ever gone to the movies, and the movie kind of just finishes? Yeah. There's actually, like, hang on, there's all these loose ends here. Oh, yeah. The whole thing hasn't finished. I remember going to say, I have not read Lord of the Rings. I'm an admirer of, of uh, Tolkien, but I, I haven't read, I, uh, I think I think the uh, Sydney Yellow Pages is actually uh, a quicker read than uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh, was it a trilogy or whatever it is? Yes. But uh, when I went to see Fellowship of the Ring, for the first time, I've seen it now probably twenty something times. But when I when I, I saw it for the first time, we got to the end of that movie and it just stopped. Yeah, and I remember leaving okay. the cinema going, "What was all that about?" <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't aware yeah. that there was more to the story. Yeah, you felt a little bit ripped off that you've got to now come back and watch. What Return of the King or whatever it was, you know, is that yeah. what the second one? What Return of the King was? Return of the King, yeah. the second one. Yeah. And then you piece it together, and I then thought you would have known. <clears throat> no, I, 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 I'm, I'm <laughs> ignorant in many ways, Cameron. No, and we won't go there. That was one of them. <laughs> but but I, I recently went to see. Now this is a, a spoiler alert because I went to. I I love the Born trilogy. You know the Born oh, Identity, yeah. Born yep. Supremacy, yep. Born Ultimatum. I am a Born nutter. I love those <laughs> movies. Now the really good thing about each of those movies, each movie stood on its own. It actually had a beginning, a middle, mm. and an end. The last one just scraped in, the Born Ultimatum. But essentially that those three parts of the Born trilogy made sense. So when they released the uh, born Legacy, I was really intrigued. I thought, okay, how do you improve on perfection? This is going to be really interesting. So I went to see it. Now, I'm not sure if it's still showing in the cinemas, but I went to see it two days after it came out, and it didn't have an end. Okay. Not only did it, didn't it have an end, it actually undermined the previous endings uh. of the other parts of the story. And, and there was just something really unsettling about that. There was no. so, it was like the tuning fork was wobbling the piano. It was like, hang on a minute, that's not right. Ravi Zacharias tells the story. Before we go to a song, Cameron, yep. Ravi Zacharias tells the story of going into Vietnam in the, the 80s, just shortly after the war had ended, and he was taken to a, a typical Vietnamese uh, play. And in the Vietnamese play, it's the story of... Um, uh, a, a prince who has by force taken a young girl to be his wife and the the peasant or fiancé the young girl is appealing to the king that his son, the prince has done something unjust mm. and so the king summons the girl in and <clears throat> says to the girl do you want to marry my son or do you want to marry this peasant the girl looks at the peasant and says I want to marry the prince. The peasant is devastated. Yeah. He can't believe what he's hearing. Uh, a wise man comes over and says, King, your highness, if you don't mind, I think I can settle this. I, I have a, an ability to uncover the truth in this. 
and it's it's uh, an ancient ritual where um, the the two men in question uh, hold an end of the pole each, and it, and um, the girl is is with them at one end of the pole and the other end of the pole, and in between the pole is a great big pot, huge pot, and they're, they're suspending that pot off the ground via a pole. So the king agrees. The his son, the prince, holds one end of the, the long pole. Uh, the the peasant holds the other end of the pole. There's a great big earthenware pot in the middle, suspended off the pole. The prince says to the girl, "If you dare tell that I threatened to kill both you and the peasant, I will act on it. I will carry it out. Don't you dare tell the truth. Go back." before the king and tell him that I'm your true love and you don't even know the peasant so the the girl then goes to the peasant and the peasant says her peasant lover fiance says well, what's going on and she says I had to he, he kidnapped me he told me that if I didn't go with him he would kill you your family, me, my family, I had no choice. I had to say what I said. But I want you to know my undying love is for you and you only. Wow. So the two men put the, put the pole down. The girl goes to the side with the wise man. The, the, the two men appear before the king. The wise man comes before the king and says, Your Majesty, I can uncover the truth now through this truth pole. And out from the earthenware pot comes a small boy. Wow. And the small boy has heard everything the two men have said, and he retells the story to the king. The king then orders the execution of the peasant, and the story's over. Ravi Zacharias left that theatre watching that play and said to his translator, is that a typical Vietnamese story? And he said, "Mm, there are stories like that. He said there was something really unsettling with that story. It didn't really have the kind of ending I thought it was going to have. And his interpreter, who was who had taken him there, said, I know, there was something wrong with that story. And Ravi said, what do you think was wrong with that story? And this interpreter said, there was no hero. Uh. There needed to be a redeemer, somebody who could rescue the unjust. And there was none. That is what was wrong with that story. And I actually think that is a profound insight, wow. Cameron. Yeah. After this song, let's pick up why it's so profound. Okay. I have the sudden urge to say, to be continued. To be continued. <laughs> that I was just picking up on that before because, you know, you get into something, if it, even if it's a movie or a television program, and it climaxes, you go, come on, come on, it goes, to be continued. Yeah. Ah! You know, so <laughs> I was just thinking of that. So we'll continue this in just a moment or two. Yeah, we can uh, make uh, good stories ourselves. And, um, yeah, sometimes being an... Un- I like hearing about the underdog, actually, in terms of... Uh, um, stories and that sort of thing but uh, the best stories as Andrew will talk to are the one, not only the ones we can relate to but the ones that give us hope how true is that? Well yeah it, you ever, you know, I, I look at sport that really captures people's imagination and there are some sports that anyone can do maybe not real well but anyone can do it mm. and what are, what are those sports Cameron? List them off for me what, can, what, what sports... Your average kid, they could do it. 
Footy, I guess. Yeah. Yep. What kind um, of football? Come on, the world game, Cameron. Soccer. Soccer. Yeah, Thank right, you I very much. A round ball on the ground, kicked with the foot. Yes. Now, that's about as simple as it gets. Yes. Anybody can do it. And because anybody can do it, they can relate to it. So when you actually see the guys who are really, really good at it yes. on the soccer pitch, you're watching people you can actually relate to. You can actually do that. So there's actually a mm-hmm. bit of a story happening there. And when when we see stories that are just so unbelievable, it's just like ridiculously unbelievable, it's, it actually gets to the point where it's just a bit hard to relate to. Yes. The best stories are somewhat believable. Yeah. Somewhat believable. Now, it doesn't mean that... Uh, I don't know. If, did you see The Avengers? Cameron? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, well, yeah, lack of culture. But, uh, Cameron, I've seen the, the old series. Okay, well, in, in The Avengers, the CGI is the best I've ever seen. Computer-generated okay. images is, yes. is the best. It, it's just really, really, really good. And you're thinking, hang on, we've got guys who can fly around. We've got guys with superhuman strength. But it doesn't seem unbelievable. What, why is that? And I'm going to suggest, when we come back after the news, there actually is a story deep in our soul where there is a superhero right in the middle of that story. Exactly. And yeah. he has superhuman strength. He can fly, mm. <laughs> and in, in a sense. And we, there is something about the story written deep on our soul that when we see that story shadowed, reflected in some way by the superhero type movies and stories that we resonate with it so there's something about that but when you have these like oh give me a break like the Mm -hmm. matrix the matrix was a fantastic movie mate you know you had um uh, neo um trinity morpheus all these guys um realizing that the whole world was in the grip of a sinister plot that they were all being duped uh, that there was a great lie that they were being told and you can unplug from the matrix take the red pill not the blue pill and you can unplug from the matrix and you can see the truth and in the end of it they defeat evil well the movie was so successful hollywood obviously put a lot of pressure on the wachowski brothers to come back and make the matrix number two and they did that but it was dumb because the matrix one had quite a reasonable Beginning, middle, and end. Yes. Also, about 33 parallels to the gospel story in The Matrix. Neo is an anagram for the one. Morpheus means change, repent. He's a type of John the Baptist. When Neo dies, he's resurrected because Trinity breathes life back into him. And then right at the end, he ascends up into heaven. Hmm. Interesting story, Cameron. I wonder where we've heard that before. (laughs) Cameron, after the news, let's explore more of these parallels to the story that resonates with our soul. Uh, sounds good. Just before we go to uh, news, we have a missing dog reported this morning. He met, went missing Sunday between uh, Karula and Piper's Brook out there. He's a, a small, uh, short-haired dog, and um, they're offering a reward. So if you've seen a dog in that area, uh, a small, short-haired brown dog in the area wandering around, and he shouldn't be, uh, it might be this dog that this uh, particular family have lost. So give me a call on six double three four zero one hundred, and uh, we'll put you in touch with the owners. Way FM on the right track. It's uh, news time, eight o'clock. Oh, that's.
Roads. Here on Launceston's Way FM, Cameron Skirving uh, with you on the radio through till 10 on The Breakfast Show. And of course, it's Wednesday, so Dr. Andrew Corbett is uh, joining us uh, today talking about happy stories. And uh, we love a good happy story. One that, uh, as we said uh, before the break, gives us hope. But one of the reasons we love a good story is uh, the because they promote us to uh, a privileged position of super knowledge that we don't normally enjoy. Gee, well said, Cameron. Well, you think about it, and I, I, I don't know that many people do think about it, that when you're actually reading a novel or you're engaged in a, a movie, you're actually in a situation where you are privy to what the characters are thinking. You don't get that in real life. What the characters are feeling... You're also with them in private. You don't get that in real life. No. And so when you're actually reading a good story, a good novel, or seeing a, a, a good movie, you're, you're actually in a very privileged position. And if you think about it, you're in a position where you've got all knowledge, all awareness, you're everywhere. Hmm. What position... Can you see what I'm saying? It actually puts you in a position that only God has. You, you are elevated out of the mundane, everyday life that we all live in. Mm. And people call that escapism, that you can escape to almost a, another world, another way of seeing life about you. And that's one of the reasons why stories resonate. They resonate so well with us because we are taken to a realm that God dwells in all the time now ponder that this actually tells us something about God he knows everything about you he sees you in private Mm -hmm. he knows what you're thinking he knows what you're feeling and he knows all of the factors involved Mm. in bringing you to where you are now Mm. we're going to come back to that in a moment because again I'm going to reiterate God is the master storyteller God is the one who tells really good stories. Now we said before that all good stories have three basic parts, a beginning, middle and end, but that's not all they have. All good stories have not just a beginning, middle and end, that's that's a a basic outline, but there's, there's another outline in play here. All good stories have a good bit, a bad bit and a good bit. If you think about every classic story that has resonated, and I'll bring up two in just a moment, the, the, two, the two stories that have sold more books than any other books in publishing history follow this pattern, and all books that come close to achieving sales in, in, these, uh, in this category also follow exactly the same pattern. And I'm actually going to suggest it's a life pattern. A good bit, bad bit, and a good bit. A movie recently came out called Hotel Marigold, and it was the story of an Indian resort, supposedly an Indian resort, that a group of English retirees feel that they can get better value for their English pound if they go to India and retire into the resort at Hotel Marigold. Okay. They arrive there and discover it's a run-down, ramshackle place, overgrown with weeds. There's, there's birds and wildlife in all of the rooms. It's a, it, the brochure didn't present it this way at all. <laughs> okay. So one of them goes to the, to the desk clerk and says, I'd like to complain 
that this hotel is not what the brochure says. <laughs> okay. And the desk clerk says, in India, we have a saying that everything will work out in the end. And he said, it's not working out now, so it's obviously not the end. <laughs> and the, the point is, uh, very, very profound. Mm. The, what the desk clerk was saying was, don't get upset, we haven't finished. This is not the end. <laughs> And, and it can't be the end. We know it's not the end because it's not working out well. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes, Cameron, and, and, and particularly, I know that there are children and, and uh, teenagers on school holidays right now. There's probably several thousand of them listening to us right now. And we just had contact from someone by the name of John in New York yes, who's listening to us live. Indeed. So welcome, John, Hello, John, listening to us live in the Big yes. Apple. And he, he said to me also he listened to Billy Joel in the supermarket yesterday and he thought of me. So isn't that nice? Oh, there you go. Right. So, uh, but oftentimes when you're a teenager, you, you, can't, you just can't get your head around the fact that your life yeah. is going to be an unfolding story that's going to follow this pattern. Good bit, bad bit, good bit. Yes. And the good bit at the end comes almost by guarantee mm. if you submit your life to the great storyteller because God knows how to write really good stories and he knows how to redeem really bad situations and give them a good ending. And yeah. that's kind of where I want to finish up in a moment by reminding people that God is the master storyteller. He can ensure that whatever you're going through in life he can redeem. He can make it into a good story. So when you think about the two most popular stories of all time, the first one was written by Victor Hugo. In For a number of years, it was selling something in the order of a million copies a year. It, it's been made into more stage productions, movies than just about any other story. It's called Les Miserables. Yes. What, it's, a, it's one of my favorite stories, Cameron. But I, I find so many people say that. They say, oh, I love Les Miserables. I love Les Mis. The musical, the story, it's brilliant. And it is. It is brilliant. I would encourage people to go on to YouTube. Look up 1998 Les Miserables Bishop scene. That's the turning point of the movie where Jean Valjean, the escaped... Oh, sorry, he's not escaped. He's on parole as a, as a convict who was given nine years hard labour for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his starving sister and her baby and for that he was given nine years hard labor he tried to escape 14 times so that nine years became 19 years mm. that he got for stealing a loaf of bread he is an embittered man yeah. when he's released he's not given citizenship he's actually given a passport that's yellow a yellow passport says do not employ do not give lodging do not give food do not give work to this man. A yellow passport means he's a criminal. Yeah. And so he, he actually says, you know, the 19 years was hard, but now the hell begins because he, he can never escape what's been done to him. Mm. And so he, he arrives at the door of a bishop, a Catholic bishop, and holds up the yellow passport and says, I'm a criminal. And the, the bishop says, I can see what you're showing me. And he says, can you please spare me some food? And the bishop says, no, I'm not going to spare any food. I'm going to invite you in to have a meal. Mm. Come in for wow. the meal. So yep. he invites Jean Valjean in for the meal. And Jean Valjean is, is taken back because, well, firstly, the bishop's not supposed to be kind to him. And secondly, he's not um, accustomed to anybody being nice to him. He's mm. had 19 years of abuse. 
and the bishop treats him to the best meal, serves him the best wine, and doesn't tell him to chuff off at the end. In fact, gives him lodging in his home, wow. gives him a nice bed yep. to sleep in, and treats him as a valued guest. In the middle of the night, Jean Valjean um, gets up, takes his knapsack, goes to the lounge room, and raids the bishop's silverware. Uh, no. The bishop awakes. <clears throat> There's a scuffle in the lounge room as Jean Valjean turns, sees the bishop and, and assaults him and the bishop's knocked unconscious. The next day, the, the, the gendarmes bring Jean Valjean back to the bishop because they said they recognised the bishop's crest on the silverware and they brought him back. And the bishop says to Jean Valjean, I'm very disappointed with you. You forgot to take the two silver candlesticks. <laughs> okay. And he and the the, the gendarmes are looking at this, going, "Excuse me, Your Holiness, is is, is is you gave him the silverware?" He said, "Of course, I gave him the silverware. He was my guest last night, and I I gave him the silverware." Oh, didn't he tell you that? And they said, "Well, yeah, actually, he did, but we didn't believe him." Well, Jean, and he turns to Jean Valjean, "Please don't be so forgetful again. Here's the candlesticks." And then he says, "Remember your promise to me." He made no promise. But before the gendarmes, he gets him to make a promise. Remember your promise to me that you are now a new man. Jean Valjean almost breaks into tears. He takes the two candlesticks, puts them in his knapsack with the rest of the silver. Scene changes. We come five years later. Jean Valjean has sold the silver except for the two candlesticks. He's made a business. He's created a business. He's employing hundreds of people. He's become the mayor of the town that he's in. <clears throat> he didn't report to the police station, so he's, he's actually now considered an escaped convict. These five years, they've been trying to track him down. In fact, one of the prison guards has been trying to track him down, uh, Javert. And Javert actually becomes the police commissioner of that town and recognises Jean Valjean. Well, he thinks he does. Of course, Jean Valjean doesn't have a beard anymore and he's clean-shaven and he's dressed nicely. But there's something about this man. He's changed his name. And the movie has a beautiful twist right at the end. Beautiful twist. And it's a marvellous story of grace and forgiveness and redemption. And it resonates. It resonates. <clears throat> that story follows a pattern. Good, bad, good. It follows a pattern. Good, uh, sorry, beginning, middle and end. It has a very good ending. And it resonates with billions of people. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the, the second best-selling no. novel of all time. No. But the best-selling novel of all time, Cameron, just before we go to a song, is, yes. is, is, a, is a, a story written by a man by the name of Lou Wallace. Lou Wallace served under General Grant in the U.S. Army during the Civil War. And he was moderately religious. Didn't have, never took out church membership, didn't have any church affiliation, but he believed there was a God. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed, basically, you know, gave intellectual assent to the Christian message. And, and one of the other soldiers asked him about this and quizzed him, and he, he struggled to give answers. He struggled to give answers to defend his faith. And he realized after the war, he needed, if he, if he was going to claim to be a Christian, he needed to get some facts straight. So he went and researched his facts and decided that those facts were not well known and, and should be conveyed in a novel. And he set about writing an, an historic novel about the time of Christ based on a character that Christ intersects in, in, in his life. And it's called Ben-Hur. Yes. It's the, it's the, the highest-selling novel of, of all publishing history. 
brings back the phrase better, bigger than Ben Hur. Bigger than Ben Hur. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The Cecil Beater Mill taking of it in 1959 yes. was is considered a classic Hollywood yes. masterpiece. Now, uh, here we have this story, and again, um, there, there is the, the pattern: good, bad, good, um, beginning, middle, end. And it resonates with it. It just resonates with us. And Ben-Hur becomes a hero, the hero figure. But, mm. but he becomes a hero because he encounters Jesus Christ. Mm. And there's this poignant scene, and it is really good storytelling. It's really good movie making, where you never see the face of Jesus. You're never, you're never quite sure, was that Jesus? It becomes pretty obvious to those that understand what's going on. This is Jesus, but there's that, is it? Could it be, you know? And it's done really, really well, and it becomes apparent at the end it was Jesus, and and this Jesus changed Ben Hur's life, changed the, the the life of Ben Hur's mother and sister who developed leprosy, and in the end they are healed and restored, and it's a really, really good story. So there's something about that. Yeah. This story of God's redemption plan, the story of God's redemption plan, is written deep on the human soul, deep on the human heart. Yep. Just before we go to a song, it actually says that in Romans chapter 2 of the Bible, that God has written that story deep in our heart. His laws and his story are written on our heart. And whenever we hear it, whenever we see it in novel or movie or theatrical play, and we recognize the story, there's something that resonates, like a tuning fork on a piano in tune. Yeah, Cameron, I was mentioning before that it's really difficult for... A teenager, having been a teenager, and I, th- I believe that you were a teenager for a while there. I think so. And <laughs> I think I still am. And I remember this. distinctly the age of 14, 15, where life was just so hard. And you have these thoughts that go through your head. And I, I don't know, you know, as a 14, 15-year-old, I'm thoughts going through your head like, I don't know if I can do this thing called life yes. anymore. This is just so hard. Mm. And now that I'm sort of near Jubilee... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I can look back scary. on that. He doesn't look. He doesn't look that <coughs> old either. I can look back on that and go, "Man, I'm glad I hung in there because the story." Yeah. And even now, I just have this sense that there's better days ahead. The story's yeah. not over yet. I agree. And so we've got this this peace and assurance that God's able to take mm. the the mess of your life and turn it into a message. Yes, he, he's the great storyteller. If you surrender your life to Him. He can weave the the frayed bits, the the damaged bits, the broken bits, and weave it into a really positive story. Yep. So we have great hope yes. that that life can work out well in the end. Now, absolutely, <clears throat> I know that there are people who are going to say, "But, but, Aunt Maud, she she died a horrible death of cancer. How is that good?" Well, I also know people that have died, and I know people that have allowed the storyteller to guide them through mm. from this from the the journey from this life into the next and i've got to tell you cameron yeah there's pain and yes there's heartbreak and yes there's disappointment and there's there's a deep longing in those of us watching on wishing it wasn't like this mm. but i've discovered something that god gives grace to the people who need it there's a wonderful scene in the chronicles of narnia series called the horse and his boy, boy. yep and it's that scene where the the young peasant boy flees his hard, uh, abusive master because a talking horse came into the stables that night who was on the run and offered to get the boy out of there. And so they, they escape in the middle of the night and they're, they're 
chased down by a pack of hungry roaring lions and they they make it up um, uh, they get separated and the boy has to traverse up the side of a mountain and and he suddenly realizes that one of the lions is 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 following him in pursuit and next thing the lion is breathing down his neck and it's dark and it's foggy and he can't quite see and the boy in desperation starts to talk to the lion and to his surprise the lion talks back and the the boy begins to tell the lion oh i don't want to die like this this is a my life has been miserable it's been terrible it's been such a hard life and the lion says i know I'm the one who took you from your parents. I'm the one who put you in the basket. I'm the one who set you in that wicker basket and set you in the, the sea and floated you off to a foreign land. I'm the one that orchestrated that, uh, that man who you've had to work for all these years to find you on the beach. I'm the one that was the roaring, raging, hungry pack of lions. I'm the one that sent the horse to the stable that night. And I'm the one who's writing the story mm. of your life. And the boy is taken back by this and, and asks a question about a girl he just previously met who was also separated from. And Aslan, the great lion, says to the boy, that's not your story. I'm writing your story. Let's talk about your story. And it's a great scene, Cameron, that sometimes we get caught up in other people's stories wondering, yes. you know, why would the storyteller write a story for them like this, knowing, or perhaps not knowing, that the great storyteller only writes good stories. Exactly. He only writes good stories. And your story can end good if you allow the great and good storyteller to write the story of your life. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to know that we all have a story that is interesting. Everyone has a story that's interesting, especially when it resonates with the good, bad, good bit. Now, as Christians, Cameron, we actually have a story that does. We, you know, the good, bad, good bit sounds like this. You know, I was cruising through life, and then the bad bit, I, I, I realized there was something missing in my life. I realized I needed something. I realized I was a sinner before a holy God. I mm. recognized that... On my own merit, I, I could not compare to God's goodness. I needed a saviour. A good bit is I found him mm. and he's changed my life. There's three parts to that story that I think every Christian can share. And yeah. I know some Christians are sort of apprehensive to preach at people. I tell you what, don't worry about preaching at people just yet. No. Share your story. Just exactly. share your story of what Jesus exactly. has done. And I think if more people did that, and I know that for some people they haven't got a dramatic story of being saved out of drugs and crime and all the rest of it. Thank God most people haven't got that story. Thank God for the person who was raised by two very well-meaning Christian parents who, who, who did their best and helped that child to come to a, a knowledge themselves of God and his incredible love for them. And they surrendered to him and they are allowing him to write the story of their lives. Cameron, that's a fantastic story. Yep really really good story yep so I, I would encourage people surrender to the great storyteller let him write the story of your life but also just by, before I go there are people who've probably got stories in them don't don't take your stories to the grave get them out there yeah get them out there I'm about to go and see a 92 year old gentleman oh, who's wow. writing the story of his life and he wants me to contribute a little bit to it so I'm about to go and say pop 
pop in in a moment and pay him a visit and and I've given him something to add to his story. How many stories are buried in the cemeteries of Tasmania? Heaps. Answer, too many. Yeah. Yes. Too many stories are buried in the ground. They'll never be told. So perhaps yeah. you've got a story, perhaps like Lou Wallace, you know how to tell a story of wonderful truth and hope in a very creative way. I would encourage you to do it. The internet gives everybody the means now to tell that story that they've got in their heart and soul that is theirs and theirs alone, and the world needs to hear it. So, Cameron, we'll be back next week where we're going to talk about the environment and how we should or perhaps might look at our relationship to environmentalism.